The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Continuing a reflection on exploring delusion, how we can be curious about those times when our minds are affected by delusion. That's the language in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness meditation in the third foundation. Being aware of the mind affected by greed or not affected by greed, of the mind affected by aversion or not affected by aversion, or a mind affected by delusion or not affected by delusion. And the way to begin to see the mind not affected by delusion is to be really begin to understand the mind affected by delusion. So we've been exploring that over these last weeks. And in the more recent weeks, exploring the delusion, uh, the view, the perspective of self, taking what is not self to be self. Our experience, just a little bit of a review of some of what I've offered over the last few weeks. Our experience is, as I, I said in the guided meditation, you know, kind of a river of changing experience. And our, you know, our sense of self is a part of that river. It's not nothing, you know, the, the, the experience that we have of I am or me, it's, a, it's an experience, it's a phenomenon that comes into being based on conditions, based on um, what's happening in the present moment, based on our history, how we've been conditioned by our families, by our cultures. And so the arising of a sense of self is very like the arising of an emotion. It's a mental formation. It's a, it's a um, process that is affected by what's happening in experience. And so the, the sense of self, very much like an emotion, can affect us, can influence how we behave, influence our choices, how we speak to people. The um, key delusion around the sense of self 
is not that not to, it's not that you know the the sense of self is not something that doesn't shape us because the sense of self is a very powerful shaping force in our lives but the delusion around it is that we take it to be something solid or stable something that is kind of traveling through time something that exists And so the exploration around the sense of self, the beginning of the exploration is really to get familiar with what is it that I'm taking to be me or mine? What is it that I'm calling this me, this who I am? And as we begin to get curious about that, as we get curious about what am I taking to be self? we start to see that the experience that we're taking to be self is not stable. And somehow our minds kind of fool us into thinking, yes, this same sense of self is traveling through time. But when we begin to look at what am I taking to be me right now? It's one thing in a certain moment and an hour or two later, or even a split second later in my own experience at times, seeing a very quick transition from one sense of self to another sense of self. Very little, sometimes no connection between those two. Beginning to see that the idea that there is a self that is traveling through time is not what's actually happening. There's this process unfolding that we are attributing, that we're kind of imputing a sense of permanence to a sense of stability or reliability. And so when we start looking at what we take to be self, it begins to undermine that belief or that view in the stability, in that there is a self traveling through time. So last week we explored a little bit around different identities, you know, how to begin to explore different identities. And I, I think I said um, a good time to begin exploring this sense of self is when it feels like the sense of self is strong. Certain emotions or certain, certain kinds of um, experiences have a strong sense of self. Self-righteousness, self-judgment, certain uh, strong emotions that tend to have been deeply conditioned in our family lives, in our culture. For myself, the pattern of anger, very strong. The pattern directed that anger towards myself of self-hatred, also quite strong in my in my um, life. And so those, also there was a very strong sense of, this is who I am, this is me. And so to begin to be curious about that experience when there is a strong sense of, yeah, me congealing, a sense of, yeah, this is who I am. I can't be other than this. That I, is just an idea, it's just a belief. And so curiosity in those times, particularly, 
it may not be so useful to uh, when experiencing something to try to find the sense of self if it's not obvious. What is obvious, you know, so much that is our way into what's happening in the present moment. And whatever is obvious, if it is an emotion or a body sensation or a reaction to a body sensation, you know, whatever is obvious, um, if there's any struggle or suffering in there, there will be a sense of self in there. But sometimes the sense of self is not what's obvious. Sometimes it's more the sense of struggle or suffering that's obvious. And to kind of try to set aside that suffering to sit, to try to say, well, you know, teachers say that there's a sense of self in there. So I've got to find the sense of self in order to be free of this suffering. You know, sometimes the sense of suffering will unwind through just being with the sense of suffering. You don't necessarily have to see how the sense of self is involved. In fact, it's the same pattern. I think I said this last week, the, the same pattern. The Buddha describes the pattern by which suffering arises, kind of a cycle of conditions that create our pattern of clinging and contraction around experience. So he described a, 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 a pattern that we have as human beings that tends to create the suffering. And the very same pattern is described as how the process of the sense of self comes to be. That kind of believing or identification of some aspect of experience and so if you're looking at the sense of suffering or you're looking at seeing kind of more obviously the sense of self, you're looking at the same pattern. So you don't have to go in this doorway of seeing the sense of self. You can notice the, the suffering side of things. And in the, um, the teaching on delusion that we've been exploring, that that is one aspect that we can also recognize the the way we take something to be reliable that's not reliable that um that side of things is where suffering often is felt and that kind of trying to land on something i i need to hold on to this thing i need to have this thing in order to be happy the view the belief in there around there's something out there that's reliable something that that could be hung on to that will create that sense of okayness in my life that's another form of delusion that there the the teachings around our experience and the recognition of what our experience is begins to point out that there's nothing that's reliable as a form of lasting happiness. And so we can come in exploring our experience from these many different directions, many different doorways, and the exploration around a sense of self is only one of those doorways. And yet it's useful to talk about because it is a doorway and there are times when there are aspects of our confusion, the way that we're deluded can be more revealed through talking about and exploring how senses of self work. 
So kind of the, in a way, the flip side of the identities that, you know, self-identities, the ways that we see a, a sense of self can be uh, what I'll call othering, the way that we define other people. The views that we are conditioned with in our lives, the cultural views, the views that come through our family, these shape us. And a lot of those views, some of those views will shape who we think we are, will shape what we think we're capable of, and begin to identify based on those views. This, the same process of conditioning also creates views and beliefs about others, what other people are capable of, who they are, what they think, what they believe. So the, the, um, uh, the identity view that, you know, identity is self-identity is one form of selfing. that identity view also can create a sense, it may be more experienced in a way as other. And so, you know, sometimes we have thoughts in our mind that are something like, I'm like this, I'm, I'm this kind of person, um, this is who I am, this is happening to me. Those kinds of thoughts will reveal something about who we are taking ourselves to be. But sometimes there's thoughts like, that's who they are, they, them, you know, when our mind is creating thoughts around other, there is also a sense of I or me there, kind of in contrast to that. And so the, the beginning to recognize the pattern that we have around creating senses of other is a way to a different way in to study how we are creating self. It may not feel quite the same. You know, it's, 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 creating, it's creating a they or them. But in contrast to that they, them is a we, <laughs> is an us or an I or a me. So this othering can happen person to person, you know, that, that you really feel, well, that person is really different or that person is whatever that, you know, we, we put on them. So there could be a he or a she or a, a they or them, you know, that, uh, that uh, about a particular individual that creates that sense of separation. And to me, this is, this is the piece that we begin to, we can begin to recognize is that the othering the experience of othering will create a feeling of separation, of difference, of non-connection often. Sometimes there'll be experiences of fear or discomfort there. So often in this othering, it's um, not just individual to individual, 
it is based on an idea of other being um, a different group, different social group. That might be based on, um, you know, skin color, different, you know, identities around race. It might be based on how people speak, the language they use. It could be based on the way they dress, um, what we take to be familiar or uh, usual in effect. And, and I think that these, that's an interesting place to begin to, to look at how this othering happens. It's, it's, it's a kind of a part of our human system in a way that we gravitate towards people and things that are familiar. And that familiarity is created by our conditioning. And in particular, probably, you know, the, the, the things that we're exposed to when, from the time we're born, you know, the first people that we see, how they are, how they speak, what they wear, what color their skin is, all of that. You know, the, those people are the us, you know, the, 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 the people that we're surrounded by, the people who are in our families and the people that we see in our schools and our neighborhoods, this begins to be more the, the sense of the we. And in contrast, when we meet somebody who isn't quite in that, when, you know, and, and the, the, the pattern of feeling the comfort, of feeling the familiarity, I mean, as humans, we like that familiarity, you know, we like that, that sense of, I know what's supposed to happen, I know how people engage with each other, all of that, you know, we, we, we have a sense of familiarity there. And, you know, we gravitate towards that. And in some ways, I think, you know, given that we're raised in a particular culture, we, we take that to be what is normal. You know, that, that particular flavor of growing up is what we take to be normal. And then we might begin to meet, you know, as we get older, we might begin to meet uh, people that are in, you know, have different patterns that they, they work with. And the discomfort that arises there, there can be discomfort when, you know, we, we meet a different human patterning. We meet a different human patterning. Or we see people that look different than us or dress different than us or speak different than us there's a little bit of a, oh, this is different. You know, it's kind of like a little bit of a, 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 a protect oneself, a, a feeling of vulnerability. I don't know how things work here. Is there danger? Do I need to be afraid? All of this can happen. And it's, it's human that this happens. We don't need to berate ourselves for having these kind of identities based on social groups or the sense of, um, you know, that there are, that, that the, the 
social groups of other people that there's, you know, there's that distinction that our minds make about others. It's a natural part of our human process. And yet so much suffering comes out of clinging to my way is the right way. Our way is the right way. Their way is weird. It's wrong. It's different. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not comfortable. It's not what I want. You know, and, and so much suffering comes out of this. The, the belief in the uh, kind of the rightness of our own way or the, you know, the, the naturalness of this human way of living versus some other human way of living. You know, when we meet those differences, there's that discomfort and of course, because we've grown up with a particular flavor, it feels uh, more natural to us. But the delusion comes with the kind of the, the, the reification of this, this form, or, or actually what often is felt, often is experienced is their you know, those people, that, those groups, they are different. This is what's normal. We may not even see what we take to be normal until we begin to experience something different. And so the, the highlight in our minds is on that difference, not on what we're identified with. And so this is this is the same pattern, again, it's the same pattern of selfing, but can be explored through recognizing, kind of highlighting in the mind when, when there's that sense of othering happening. So we can feel um, sometimes a shame when we see this. That when we see our mind doing this, when we see bias happening, particularly, you know, this othering, the othering process is natural. And we also create biases. We also have views and beliefs around ourselves, around others. So we have these biases and, and, and we, you know, we don't, want to think of ourselves in that way, you know, we, we don't want to think of ourselves. There's a self-judgment that happens. So this, the self-judgment that happens there is a manifestation of the othering in a way, you know, the, the, um, the sense of self that arises like, no, oh, no, I'm not the kind of person who thinks others are, you know, less than, but here it is, you know, wow, I guess I am this kind of person. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's painful to see that happening, but I will say it is way better to see it happening than to not see it happening. Because when it's, when you, when you don't see it, when you don't recognize the pattern of othering, the pattern of how we 
relate to people based on these filters, these views, these beliefs, because othering comes like selfing comes with a lot of views and beliefs about who I am. Othering comes with a lot of views and beliefs about who they are. And our relationship with people, our choices about how we interact, what we say, all of these things also coming into institution, institutions, how institutions treat people. All of these um, are coming from these views, these beliefs. And so when the, those views and beliefs are not conscious, when we believe, oh yes, I don't, you know, when we, we kind of delude ourselves into thinking, I don't see people as other, that um, habit or that patterning and those views and beliefs being underground will be making our choices, will be informing how we engage, how we relate. And so not seeing it will perpetuate the struggle, the suffering around those othering patterns. Seeing it gives us the opportunity, first of all, to be honest with ourselves about, wow, this is here. Helpful to remember, yes, this is conditioned. You know, this, this is the way that, you know, of course this is here. This is how I was raised. But seeing it gives the opportunity to choose, perhaps to not act on certain views, to maybe hold the possibility that these are views rather than simply truth. And, and again, this, this point has been woven through all of the delusion talks, you know, the, the looking at the beliefs, recognizing that the beliefs are there, seeing that they are beliefs as opposed to truth. I think some of these identity, um, that these identities that are shaped, especially from the time we're young around who I am and my familiar, um, patterns and ways of navigating the world and who's, who shares those patterns and ways of navigating the world. Those, those patterns um, become views that are very deeply conditioned, hard to see. But when we can begin to see them as views, as beliefs, we, re we might be able to recognize, oh, this maybe is one way of being, not the only way. So it, it can shift from being taken to be true to being seen as this is, this is a belief. We don't have to disbelieve it. We don't have to tell ourselves, I shouldn't be this way. But to recognize, oh, this is one way of seeing the world. Seeing it as a belief rather than taking it to be true begins to help the mind uh, see that, that taking it to be true as delusion, essentially. And with the othering, the views, the beliefs that are 
underneath the othering also need to be seen as beliefs. That, that will begin the, a process of, first of all, knowing what beliefs are in there. It's like we need to know what beliefs are in there. And then, and then we might begin to see, you know, when, we, when, when we're operating from a particular belief, that belief shapes. Beliefs are so powerful. They are amazingly powerful. They shape how we are aware of the world. They shape our consciousness. They shape what we are conscious of. And so with a particular view or belief not seen, we are gravitating towards things in our world. Our consciousness gravitates towards those things that confirm that belief. The mind can and often does not see, just not even become conscious of things that disconfirm that belief. So the, the recognition of belief gives us the opportunity to kind of be curious about, well, are there things out there that disconfirm this belief? We may begin to be able to see things that we hadn't seen because we recognize the belief is there. Now, this is how scientific inquiry works in a way. You know, we, the, the science comes up with hypotheses you know, if you take a hypothesis, so a hypothesis is a little bit around, like a belief. It's like a belief. It's like, let's look and see, does this, does the world confirm this hypothesis? So there's a looking a little bit for confirmation, but good science also actively looks for things that disconfirm the hypothesis. And so when we, we reveal, when we kind of become conscious, this is the belief or this is the hypothesis, we can be, can be curious about what confirms it and maybe what disconfirms it. So seeing that othering is working, we can start to have some curiosity about those beliefs connected to the othering and be curious about what, what might disconfirm that belief. Am I really seeing things clearly? So I wanted to leave a little bit of time today for more comments and questions. Um, and for those of you who are newer to this particular group, just to let you know, I do like to record the comments and the responses to the comments. So if you prefer not to have your voice on the recording, you're welcome to put a, put a question in the chat. Um, but yeah, if uh, any comments or questions about this reflection on othering as a form of selfing or other questions about, about selfing and I will potentially, you know, I'm going to take a few notes if there's a question that feels like it could be a, you know, a little Darmet, <laughs> I may save it for next week.
Yeah, Kate. Kate, go ahead. Yeah, I was just um, kind of, can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I was, yeah, fine. My internet's a bit wobbly. Um, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, the comparing mind feeds into this other othering, that, that that's something that um, kind of uh, is, is very wrap, wrapped up in that, in that whole process. Absolutely. Um, so when there's a kind of comparing going on, you know, I'm like this, they're like that you know, that there's a little more sense of the eye there, perhaps, you know, the, but, uh, but yeah, there, that's, that's part of that same process. So seeing the comparing mind at work, the judging mind mm -hmm. too, you know, the judging mind too, the, you know, um, they're, they're similar, I think, comparing and judging are, are similar. Um, the comparing can be more neutral in a way, you know, it's like, I'm sort of short, you know, and this person is tall, you know, that, that, that comparing can, can be a little more neutral. Um, the, 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 when it slips into judging is when it's like, well, short is better <laughs> or, um, you know, or tall is better, you know, I, I am, I am the lesser, you know, the comparing is interesting. Um, you know, when it slips into, when it moves into the um, less than, better than, or even same as, you know, the Buddha points to that reflection, the, the, the question around, and this is um, the, the word is mana in the Pali, and it, it means it's often translated as conceit but that conceit is understood to be related to that comparing I am less than, I'm the same as, or I am better than. So that kind of language can also be interesting or useful to, to recognize. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, I'm good at this. I'm better than, I'm less than. Um, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> that person wouldn't do that or whatever, you know, those kinds of thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, I remember at one, at one point, I suffered so much around comparing myself as a meditator to, to, my, to my best friend. You know, we both went to these retreats together and, and I would see my friend like just creeping around the building and, you know, just so, you know, still. And, and um, I would find myself when something arose in my mind uh, some kind of, you know, frustration or confusion or something, I would find myself saying in my mind, well, my friend would never do that. <laughs> you know, kind of comparing myself to my idealized version of what my friend was experiencing. And, you know, at some point I had to recognize, you know, I have no idea what my friend is experiencing. I know I can creep around like that and my mind is going nuts. So, <laughs> so yeah, noticing that, those thoughts and just, you know, we tend to just take them to be some kind of truth as opposed to, oh, this is just the mind creating an idea of comparing. So yeah, that's Thank an you. important piece in the, in the process of looking at this. Yeah, thanks. Thank There's you. a couple of questions in the chat. Let me get those, let's see. What does one do if one feels being othered? That's a great question. Um, you know, that's, I think that's an important piece of this. Um, you know, the, the, um, um, 
I think that's part of why this whole process does create suffering because of the, the othering and how, you know, people are being othered, you know, the, 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 the experience of being othered can be extremely painful and trying to, um, you know, prevent or not prevent, but, you know, to, um, you know, we, I think we have a, a sense of wanting to convince somebody, you know, that we're not that other somehow. And, and so it's painful. It's, it can be very painful to be othered. And so that's a suffering, right? That is a, a form of suffering. There might be times when it's appropriate to speak out about that, you know, to, to point to. And, um, you know, I think that there's, there's uh, a lot of movement in this direction in our culture in certain areas um, to, to speak out when we see the othering happening. Um, in, in personal situations, it can be useful to check in, you know, if you're going to speak to somebody else about, you know, hey, what's happening here? This is not okay. Um, you know, it, it can be useful for yourself. You know, it can be useful for yourself to do that, to kind of ground in your own sense of um, um, that identity that's being placed on me is not of any relevance. It's not, it has no bearing on who I am, except for that is how they're seeing me. And that does have effects, you know, culturally it can have effects. So sometimes it can be useful to speak out and um, and kind of state, say that, and yet to also recognize, you know, that person is caught in a view and uh, they may or may not be able to see through that view. So you're saying something may not have the intended effect or the hoped for effect on them. So that's a place where we need to... Um, not, not rely on how others are seeing us for our own happiness. It's, it's like we come back to um, a grounding in not needing to pick up the othering for ourselves. And yet, you know, there are whole structural things that happen in our culture, um, you know, particularly around some of the the uh, the isms racism sexism ageism homophobia you know those those um, those isms you know that that whole structures of society are in place that kind of force those identities on us and so that that is a challenge and that is a place to to begin to speak you know to to point to to these things and to recognize that you know, the, it's a process. There's a lot of delusion going on out there in the world. A ton of delusion going on out there. And so the, you know, seeing, I think seeing how hard it is to see that delusion in our own minds, that can help us to have some compassion for the massive delusion that's going on in the world. Do what we can to... to pop that bubble of delusion in our own minds, that will support the 
the possibility of others also seeing through their delusion. Because when we can see through our delusion and speak from that place, you know, no, this is, this is not the way things are. This is, you, this is a perspective that you are carrying that you're not seeing. When that can be said in a, in a way that, that's skillful and can get through, um, it can have an effect and a slow effect. I mean, the, the, the process of awakening individually the Buddha talked about being a really gradual process. And so it's a, it's a slow, it's a slow thing. But, but I think in terms of that question, you know, when we feel othered, notice the suffering of feeling othered and notice whether you're picking up that othering, pick, you know, picking up that identity. Sometimes I think we, we pick up the identities, especially when they're pervasive you know, we can pick up those identities um, and, you know, kind of almost believe them in a way that, you know, it's, it's almost like the, 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 um, the believing that I need to have somebody else not see me that way is a form of selfing internally. That my happiness depends on other people not seeing that way. And this is this is very much the Buddha pointing to, you know, the the freedom internally, the the self freedom, the freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion internally does not require anything to change externally. And yet. Because in that freedom that comes in the, in the changing internally, it, it evokes compassion, it evokes connection, it evokes equanimity. There is a way that as we have more capacity and confidence internally without the, the clinging to our own identities or clinging to our own views and perspectives, that uh, allows us to um, engage in the world from a perspective of compassion, where that compassion can be really firm. <laughs> you know, when we see harm happening in the world, that action there the action to want to, to want to take action to alleviate that harm and that suffering, that can come from that place of freedom and compassion rather than a place of anger and hatred. And that's really powerful coming from a different place. So let's see, I'll read the other question in the chat. Um, it's time to stop, so I won't necessarily answer it, but I just wanna read it. I'm able to see when I'm othering others. And funny enough, it's more about people from my country or my area than people from other countries. I see how that makes me suffer, but I still can't let it go. Again, I can just practice self-compassion for myself. Well, I think, yes, yeah, seeing, seeing how it makes us suffer and not being able to let it go, yes, that is, that is part of the process of this practice. So 
to kind of have the idea that, oh, if I see something, it should just go poof, you know, it should just go away when I see that I'm suffering around othering. You know, that's not really acknowledging the deeply conditioned nature of these patterns. They're very deeply conditioned. And so, you know, one or two seeings of it, it brings a different kind of conditioning to it, but it, it does need to happen. It does need to, to be something over time that we explore. 